Hi, everyone, and welcome. You are listening to Speeching It Real, a podcast where I interview future and current speech-language pathologists. Here, you can learn all about what it's like to get started in the field, see how paths and interests change, and connect with people going through the same things you are. I am your host, Chris Ubieta, and I am currently a second-year grad student at CU Boulder. Quick disclaimer, all statements and opinions on this podcast are not reflections of the organizations or schools associated with the speakers. Each person's words reflect their own opinions, including my own. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to part two of a two-part episode featuring Rosie Zarchi. On today's episode, we get into details about working with the deaf and hard of hearing populations and the curriculum put together by Razi and his wife, Dr. Leah Gear. I want to mention that I really learned so much during this conversation, and I want to acknowledge one of the biggest takeaways, which is a reminder to use your cultural humility when speaking with someone who has a different language than you. After we recorded this podcast, I took a moment to really think about this and what it means. From this point forward, I expect this to live at the front of my mind to really implement it during my day-to-day conversations. It's always such an obvious thing that we think, but to truly sit back and think about what this means and how we would want to apply it is so important. So thank you so much to Razi for this humbling moment and this opportunity to learn. On this episode, we also talked about language deprivation, which I personally hadn't heard about before. And if I had, I just really didn't remember. So I linked a resource in the show notes for anybody who's interested in learning more. Once again, thank you so much to Razi for coming on today. I want you all to get into it. So I hope you had a wonderful holiday and let's go right ahead. Prior to obtaining your doctorate, you worked at a school like you had mentioned before for about 10 to 12 years, something like that. 12 years, practice i was at in the, in this um school district for eight years yeah and you worked like you mentioned at the top with deaf and hard of hearing kids i have a few questions about this you mentioned that you did asl in grad school yes um i mean it, during those four years that i was essentially in grad school but the first two were mm-hmm. equivalent of the undergrad major but basically yeah well in grad school okay what sparked your interest first in working with deaf and hard of hearing populations well, um, I give most of the credit to a kid I knew back in my hometown. I grew up in a small town and there was a a family in my town where the dad was deaf, the mom was hearing, and they had um, a deaf daughter and a hearing son. And they had a very bilingual family environment. I don't remember how I first met them, but I do remember going over to their house at some point and h- hanging out and wishing that I could communicate with with the daughter better. And then in middle school, I was on a, a basketball team and she was on my team. And I was like, hey, I remember you. And And she was just a really cool kid. Like one of those kids where I was like, I want to know you better because you're awesome, but I didn't know her language. Mm-hmm. And so I I bought a book to try and teach myself some signs. I was not particularly successful, but I learned the names of the colors, which <laughs> is useful in basketball because the ref blows the whistle and then we'll say like blue ball or red ball or based on the color of your uniforms. And so during our games, you know, if the ball went out of bounds, she'd look, look at me and I'd sign the color and she would know whose ball it was. So I was like, okay. <laughs> um, but I could also see that when the coach would 
you know, tell us the strategy or, you know, a pep talk or whatever, I could see that she didn't have access to that. And so, I mean, she was a really good player, but she wasn't able to be as much a part of the team as the other kids on the team who are all hearing. And I just felt like that felt not right to me, you know? And so I wanted to learn enough ASL to help be able to convey what the coach was saying. I didn't know the word interpret at that point, but basically to to be able to interpret what everybody was saying so that she could be a part of it. Because I was like, you're awesome. And you probably have interesting things to say about what we should do. And also should have access to what other people are saying. I definitely did not get good enough based on, you know, just my little book, like studying it at home. But that kind of planted the idea in the back of my mind that I wanted to learn ASL. And so I eventually was able to finally take classes. And by the time I was taking ASL classes, I was in school to become an SLP. And I knew that I wanted to work with kids. Um, I've always just gotten along well with kids and enjoyed working with them. And so I had it in the back of my mind that I wanted to work with deaf kids. And right around when I was getting ready to graduate, I saw a job posting for an SLP with signing skills. And I was like, there it is. Okay. That's Um, amazing. Yeah. So I was so excited. Turned out the job itself was quite terrible. Oh, no. I made it to the end of that first year, which I had to because you can't break contract in the schools. And then left to go work at a private practice where a good friend of mine was working because I was able to ask, like, what's the climate like? I recommend that, by the way, for anyone who's who's in a job search, if you can talk to someone who works there, the, the, ask them that, that question of like, what's the climate like? What's the mood and morale like in this workplace? Because they won't tell you anything like that in, a, in an interview. They want, mm-hmm. they want to come. Even when you and, ask. <laughs> Yeah, they're not they're not gonna be like, oh, everyone hates it. You know, they're not gonna tell you. <laughs> we have a very high turnover. <laughs> right? They're, they're they would never say you. that. <laughs> exactly. And so um I was able to ask my friend at this private practice, you know, what's it like over there? And and she said, Oh, it's 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 good. It's good. And so I left that job to go straight to the private practice and stayed there for three years. Um, I only had one hard of hearing client the whole time that I was there, which was just a bit disappointing. But I told myself I was going to stay there until the perfect deaf ed job fell into my lap. That was basically my um, what what I decided for how long I was going to stay because it was good. It just wasn't what I was looking for. I wanted to be back in the schools. I liked the idea of being a public employee. You know, like I said, I come from a long line of teachers who, you know, are public employees and unionized and like all of these sorts of things. And so I want, I wanted that. And then the deaf ed job that I wanted literally fell into my lap. Someone who had been a mentor to me in grad school and whose clinical research study, I was able to jump in on and use as my thesis and, and all of that actually took early retirement and told me that she wanted me to come in and replace her in that position. Wow. Things just happened. (laughs) It worked out perfectly. I was able to get in there and work with deaf and hard of hearing kids ages zero to five, which I love early great intervention. Population. <laughs> What's that? It's a great population. I love early intervention. I love working with families. I love working to empower families to be, to create a language rich environment at home. So that was how, that was how I ended up in that position really was you know, again, sort of a little bit of a windy path and 
I, I ended up where I needed to be and stayed there for eight years until I was just really ready for the next thing. But yeah. I've had a chance to get to know the person who replaced me there. And I have full faith that the kids are in wonderful hands. So that, that helped me let, let go and, you know, move on to what I need to do next. Yeah, I have a question for you. I'm about to work in a school that has deaf and hard of hearing students as well as hearing kids. I was curious what your perspective on is. Do you think it's necessary or vitally important to have ASL in your repertoire when working with deaf and hard of hearing kids? If at all possible, yes. I think I think that's the best way to be able to serve them properly. Mm-hmm. I also recognize that a lot of SLPs just get placed at a school that happens to have a deaf program. And then you kind of have to play some catch up. Um, but I I have seen school districts actually pay for their staff to take ASL classes. So I have I have heard of um, school districts paying for people to take classes or, you know, people working in schools taking, for example, a community college like summer mm-hmm. ASL, that sort of thing to um, brush up on it and make some make some progress. Also, my wife, her name is Leah Gear, and I co-wrote an ASL curriculum. Was that was that your, your next I, question? Of course I have questions on that too. I think it's so cool, but by all means jump into it. Okay. Um, so it's called American Sign Language at Home, a family curriculum. We call it ASL at Home for short. And essentially it's a curriculum for teaching ASL to parents and other family members of young deaf and hard of hearing children. So, and it's entirely based around daily routines. So for example, the first three are uh, mealtime, bath time, and diaper changing and bathroom routines, because those are some of the things that come up most often in young children's lives. And so we teach the ASL skills, so vocabulary, sentences, um, comprehension that family members who are taking care of young children need to interact with with those children. So, but we have had professionals also take our classes who are, are going to be interacting with young deaf and hard of hearing children. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's also an option. There are a lot of resources out there for learning ASL. Taking classes is by far the most effective, I think. I think a lot of the sort of self-guided just doing this on your own kinds of kinds of resources out there don't they don't get your hands up signing whole sentences in really functional ways in the way that a class does how long are your classes that you guys offer our classes are eight weeks long okay we we just put out the second edition of our curriculum on june 30th i saw that too so cool first edition just had four chapters and the second edition has 12 so um, our website is aslathome.org <laughs> and it's A-T, not, not, you know, the at symbol. People sometimes write it with the at symbol, but it's not. And I will make sure to link that in the show notes for anyone who's interested. I know I have been scouring the website since I actually reached out to you. So I'm like, really? this is so cool. I need to be doing this because like I said, I'm going to be working with the deaf and hard of hearing population for an externship. And I was like, I should do this. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, and w- one of the things that we did with our curriculum was we did make it so that it could also be self-driven. People can can just work their way through it. The important thing is that you have to get your hands up and sign along mm-hmm. for anything that's expressive. So the, for the vocabulary, we we dive into expressive sentences immediately day one because a lot of parents get stuck signing one word at a time. You know, they'll just sign more or eat or... Mm-hmm you know, monkey or whatever, but they don't put together sentences and they often feel like they don't know how to, they don't know the ASL grammar well enough to put together sentences. And I feel like that's our fault. That's the professional's fault because the more we say ASL and English grammar, they're so different from each other. They're so different that disempowers parents from feeling like they can even try. Hmm. When really the basic word order for both languages is the same. Subject, verb, object. Yes, ASL grammar is different from English in a lot of ways, but not so different that you can't just put the words together the way you would in English and have it mostly make sense. Yeah, I think it's, I think this is so fascinating. And I love the way that you guys make it. Well, I, I love especially the second edition that you have going on with all of the additional chapters. And I love how it's really geared towards the younger population because that also makes it digestible for parents to grow with their child and kind of follow the track of language learning with the child. Now, children have that period where they're just like so quick to learn everything and that's a little harder for parents, but the more that kids are exposed to it and the parents are exposed to it, they get to support each other and it becomes this really great family opportunity. At least that's how I see it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And we, um, there's been some recent research out of Boston University that shows that that for young children, the parent's proficiency level in ASL does not actually predict how well the child develops vocabulary in those oh, wow. first couple. As the child gets older, the parents do need to continue learning, but for the for their child to continue learning and having that that rich language at home. But it's not like your child was just identified as deaf. They're three months old, and you have to be fluent right now. That's not how. That's actually not how it works. And so, yeah, there is time for parents to grow in their ASL with their child. And um, Dr. Gere, my wife, is currently or just finishing up a semester of sabbatical where she's been working on writing level two of ASL at home. Nice. So, and that will be geared toward families with children ages five to 10. Yeah, you guys but have he's... so much room. This is going to go like so much room for growth, so much room to add on, so many ideas. I think this is awesome. Thank you. We're, it's been completely life-changing for both of us. And, you know, we have never we have never expected or wanted ASL at home to be the end-all be-all of anyone's ASL journey. Mm-hmm. You know, what we want is for it to be that first step that gets families or professionals to a point where they feel like they can, in fact, sign with this child or these children throughout their day. And now have the confidence and the foundation to take a class that's harder. Yeah. I have a question. This kind of just popped into my head. I've noticed online, specifically like videos, that people sometimes get upset that like that hearing people are teaching ASL. I would love your perspective on this and anything that you're thinking, because I'm sure you're way more immersed in this world than I am. I'm just getting little blippets of it. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um so there's there's a long history of hearing people thinking signing is really cool and really beautiful 
and being encouraged to go ahead and learn it, while at the same time, deaf children are being prevented from learning it, prevented from signing um, for, well, a hundred years or so. Sorry, uh, deaf education using signed languages was outlawed in around the globe. Um, deaf teachers were put out of a job and then the focus in deaf education became oral only. Mm-hmm. Now, now the term that people use for oral deaf education is listening in spoken language. Um, there are some who think that that term was chosen, that LISL, as they call it, or LSL, was chosen to to make it sound like it's ASL or LSL, you know, like same same idea, but it's it's not. But so deaf children and deaf individuals are often prevented from signing while hearing individuals are encouraged to sign because it's so beautiful. And so there's just, there's a lot of history of, of hearing people appropriating signed languages for profit and teaching them wrong for profit with no oversight mm-hmm. and lots of other people go, going, oh my goodness, your signing is so pretty when it's wrong. It's incorrect. And they're teaching the language wrong mm-hmm. and it's not even their language to teach. And so I wanted to make clear that there is this history of exploitation of signed languages by hearing people for profit in a way that actually harms the deaf community because not only are they teaching these signs wrong, so people think that they're signing great when they're really doing things and signing in ways that are incomprehensible. Mm-hmm. But also they're taking potentially taking jobs from deaf people who are the experts in their languages and are trying to teach them, but aren't getting the same amount of press, aren't getting the same amount of attention because it's not as sexy. Mm-hmm. And because hearing people are sometimes afraid to interact with deaf people because they feel like they don't know what to do or something like that. And so they go with the hearing person who they can already talk to and throw their money at that person and all their attention at that person. Because isn't it amazing that you know this signed language, but it's not their language to to teach. And so um, there are a lot of social media influencers who are currently doing this, who are hearing and are making lots of money off of teaching signed languages, usually ASL, and with full of errors, and who the deaf community have reached out to nicely at first to say, hi, um, so that's actually not the sign. This is how you sign it. But also, you know, we've been trying to teach this language ourselves for a long time, and we're not getting this kind of media play. Maybe you could instead uplift deaf people and send, you know, send send your your audience in the direction of the deaf people who you know actually know the language totally um and some of those influencers are are open to the idea some shut it down block everyone who tries to reach out to them and have created major problems so that's where some of that if you get a sense that there's some resentment or big feelings behind this issue that's where that's where a lot of that comes from yeah and it um, seems totally valid I had been watching ASL YouTube videos before in the past and only people who are deaf or hard of hearing that I saw on YouTube. And then my feed never had anybody who was hearing who was signing, but then suddenly I started getting the people 
who are hearing, who are signing, but it's deaf people calling them out. So it'll be like their videos overlapped. And I'm like, oh my gosh, people are doing, I didn't even know this was a thing until maybe the last like month or two. And I was like, wow, like this makes a lot of sense that it would cause so much resentment and anger and feelings towards it just because like you said, they're taking away opportunities from voices that we should be uplifting and hearing. Exactly, exactly. And a lot of the time it's like hearing ASL students who are like, I'm learning this super cool thing and I want to share it with the world, which I get. But if, you know, if you were learning Spanish for the first time and like, for example, you knew that you hadn't quite mastered the accent yet or you knew that you were a beginner, would you record yourself and put it on YouTube for everyone else to teach them the Spanish that you just learned? I don't think people actually do that. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't think I've ever seen it. So that's very valid. It's a great point. Yeah, like there, I feel like there would be some amount of humility, cultural humility Mm -hmm. of like, I'm a beginner. So I probably should not be teaching others what I've learned. I should be practicing it and speaking it with people who who know this language fluently and you know but but if i wanted to share some resources about about spanish for example i would share resources of native spanish speakers or highly proficient spanish speakers doing their thing in their language rather than considering myself some sort of brand new expert so that's that sort of the complication of that power dynamic mm. So what we've done with ASL at home is we hired deaf deaf language models to record all of our instructional videos. And so that way, if there's someone who who wants to learn on their own, they can use the curriculum on their own using our, our videos with the deaf models. If there's a professional who is fluent in ASL themselves and wants to use the curriculum to support families in their learning, they can either use the videos or they can just sign sign things live themselves mm-hmm. because signer. If there's a provider who is not a proficient signer, so let's say an SLP who got placed at a school with, with a deaf program but doesn't know ASL or knows this much, you know, just a little bit, mm-hmm. then they can bring in those videos to have the deaf language model and then be like, okay, okay, parent, we, we saw them sign that. Let's do it together now. Hands up. Let's do this together. We're learning from this deaf person. The professional can still be facilitating the learning process and helping the family get through it but their their language model is a deaf person. So we recently started having our first level, so chapters one through four class um, taught by a friend and colleague of ours, or by the time this is out, we will have recently started. We're starting in January. Um, and that colleague is hearing. However, the instructional videos are still with the deaf language models. Also, we know that she is a highly proficient signer and has been vetted by Dr. Gear, my co-author. Um, we know that she's going to also sign things correctly. Mm-hmm. She has all using our curriculum in her early intervention job. And so she's very familiar with it. Um, and she's also quadrilingual in English, ASL, Spanish, and Peruvian sign language. Wow. And if we offer another Spanish-based class, which we have in the past, you know, she would be a likely candidate for that as well. Um, so her unique skill set also, you know, equips her in in that particular way. Um, we do we are planning for the Spanish translation of our second edition to come out in this coming spring. That's awesome. Yeah, the first edition we did have translated into Spanish, um, but since we're leaving that first edition behind moving forward, the second edition has been translated. We just have the finishing touches now. Got it. And did your 
your co-author slash wife, um, did she know ASL before also, or did you guys learn that almost together simultaneously? Oh, um, Dr. Gary's death. Oh, Sorry, I didn't I know. Yeah, so, so <laughs> deaf linguist, special, who has broad knowledge of linguistics, but has also specialized in sign language linguistics as well. Got it. Um, actually right now in the process of getting a second master's degree her, her original master's is in linguistics um she's getting a master's degree in early intervention studies from gallaudet university so specifically early intervention with families with deaf and hard of hearing children because of the shift that her career path has kind of taken through this through writing asl at home and now being someone who interacts with families with young children on a regular basis <laughs> decided i I want to gain more more background knowledge on, on this topic. So we're both sort of bookish school nerd people. <laughs> I and love that. So <laughs> at the same time. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of a lot of study homework time that goes on around our house, even, even though we're both also working professionals. I love so. that though. That sounds like such a match made in home. <laughs> it is. It is for sure. I have another question. Oh, sorry, go. You were saying. I just said we're a good team. That's great. I love that. That's what you want to hear from a marriage, right? (laughs) Okay, so I have one question before we jump into the wrap-up section, because I know we both have busy lives. What advice do you have for current graduate students or professionals who are going to start working or are interested in working with deaf and hard of hearing communities? Oh, good question. Um, The first thing that comes to mind is... If you're a grad student or a professional like an SLP, you may have taken ASL1. It may have been a long time ago. Suggestion number one, don't apologize for being a beginning signer because, um, and this is something I learned from Dr. Gear, when you apologize for not knowing ASL, for example, or for only knowing a little bit or only remembering a little bit from when you took the class 10 years ago or whatever it was, the whole conversation becomes about the fact that you're not a good signer and it puts the deaf person in the position of having to comfort you like, Oh, it's okay. It's okay that you don't know my language when they're probably not expecting you to know it anyway. So just move on. It's okay. Hmm. It's okay. If you know a little ASL, use it. They'll be able to tell that you're a beginner. They, they're not going to sign back super fluently to you. You know, they'll, they'll bring it down and be very slow and, you know, careful with it because deaf people are used to interacting with hearing people who don't know their language, mm. but use it, use it. It's okay. And, it, and remember that it's okay to make mistakes. And my next recommendation is to go ahead and start taking ASL classes. If deaf people had a nickel for every time someone said, oh, you know, I keep meaning to take it to, to take ASL. I keep, I've been meaning to take an ASL class. Then they would all be very, very rich. Mm-hmm. That statement is worth zero. It doesn't mean anything other than I keep, I keep thinking of how I could do something to improve your quality of life. And then I decide not to do it, which is actually more hurtful than not saying it at all. Mm-hmm. So actually do it actually take an ASL class or multiple. You may fall in love with it once you start learning or find that you need more to to be effective with your your students or clients. So do actually go ahead and learn it. There There are a lot of great online classes available there's ours, of course, aslathome.org, if you're going to be working with young children and families. There's also um, the American Society for Deaf Children, um, or ASDC. Their website is deafchildren.org. 
they offer classes year round. They've always got several classes running at different difficulty levels. Um, And so that's a fantastic option as well. Um, If you're not able to, for example, take a community college class or something that's more academically rigorous, Mm -hmm. it depends on what, what you're able to do. But I would say, yeah, go ahead and start learning and commit to it. And then as you're learning, use it with those kids. Or if you have a deaf teacher who you're working with, use it with them. Because the only way you're really going to learn a language is by using it. If you don't get your hands up, then what are you even doing? So yeah, definitely use it. For example, the SLP who took my place in my school position took our took our ASL at home class immediately, in fact, um, and then and took, I think, a summer class before she started there in the fall. And I think she's in ASL too now. But man, like she can hold a conversation after not a lot of class time. You know why? Because she's in that classroom all the time, pushing in with the kids, working Mm -hmm. with the kids and conversing at the level that she's able with the deaf teacher and she's using it. And that's just amazing. So I know that some people don't naturally take big risks with new languages. Like they get very tentative and shy about using a new language. But if you're going to work with deaf kids, I'm sorry, you have to get over it. You have to force yourself. Yeah, I think now is a great time for me, at least while I'm being immersed in it with these children. I think it's going to be such a good complimentary, like it'll sink in versus before I would learn some things and then I would never use it. So I think this is an incredible opportunity. And I do really appreciate what you were saying about kind of brushing people off if you're saying oh, well, I've wanted to do that. At that point, just don't say anything or be like, wow, this is, it's really great seeing you sign. I I love your language. You can say something like that rather than, you know, I've been really wanting to do that. Yeah. I I think more importantly, just have the conversation about whatever you're there to talk about. Mm -hmm, Totally. You know, rather than making it be about the fact that they are deaf and they have a language that you don't speak and they know that already. Move on. (laughs) Totally. The other investment I would have is to focus your continuing education on this population. The best resource out there for working with signing deaf kids is Language First. That's the name of the organization. Their website is Language First, spelled language1st.org. They have an enormous learning library full of workshops and webinars and resources that you can watch on your own time and get ASHA CEUs which, you know, if you're an extern, you don't need yet, but um, but you will after your first year and continue and join their email list. So you find out about all their upcoming webinars. I just went to a great one last night. Go to their annual conference if you're able. That is the community for people working with signing deaf kids, especially SLPs, but, but others, including teachers of the deaf and educational audiologists as well. So that's that's where we all are, is in that language first community. So find them on social media, you know, just and see who who's connected with them and get connected with those folks, because that's where you can get just a ton of information and create your little network of people so that when you have those questions that your average SLP won't know how to answer because they don't work with deaf kids, um, you can learn about it. And the number one topic I would say to look up when you're if you want to do some of your own research or if you want, if you are choosing webinars to attend, that sort of thing is anything about language deprivation, because language deprivation is the number one issue in language acquisition in deaf children. And what it is, is lack of 
full access to language during that critical period for language acquisition. So that zero to three, really, mm-hmm. most deaf children from hearing families don't have full access to language. And by access, I mean the language that that it is being shared with them or that is in their environment can't make it through their entire sensory system, through whatever modality that language is coming in to their brain consistently and effectively. Because in most cases, it's auditory. And with young deaf children, we don't know how much of that, how much of the oral language in their environment is really making it into their brain. Even if they're using listening devices like hearing aids or cochlear implants, studies are showing that that they fall behind. But deaf children from deaf parents who are signing at home don't show those same delays. And we're showing really good, there's been some recent research that's showing really good progress in deaf children from hearing families that start signing early as well. That topic of language deprivation and preventing it is, is really, I feel like, the most important thing that you can do in the field of deaf early intervention, deaf ed, et cetera. So that's a topic to read up on, learn about, discuss with others, really think about every day that you're with those kids. Thank you so much for sharing all of these resources. I'm going to link some of them down below. These sound really interesting. I love that I get the opportunity to sit here and listen to people's passions like this and get me really excited to learn about them. And I'm hoping other people, I have never heard, I'm going to be completely honest, I've never heard of language deprivation. And I am very eager to learn about it. I was like typing it up and opening up browsers in the background while you were saying it to make sure I do it. Um, But thank you so much for sharing that and all of these resources. I think it's critical and important and appreciative. Oh, good. Yeah, no, I'm so I'm so glad. And um, I really appreciate having the opportunity to talk about all of this. You know, this is um, I've really I really enjoyed this conversation. Me too. We can jump into our wrap up section so we can close out. The first part of the wrap up questions is what is your go to movie, book, or TV series that you consume when you need a mood boost? That's a hard one. I go to, okay, well, no, I can tell you what book series. Okay. Sound like a mood boost, but I somewhat recently learned about the, um, a series of murder mysteries by Louise Penny, um, all about this main character named Chief Inspector Gamache. And it all takes place in Quebec and Canada which is not a part of the world that I was familiar with at all before reading this series, even though they speak French and are closer to me than France. But, <laughs> you know, I just knew nothing about it culturally or anything like that. And they all take place in this tiny little village or partially in this tiny little village called Three Pines in rural Quebec, just north of the border with the United States. And, um, and in fact, there's a series on, I think it's on Amazon Prime, um, sort of like a, a limited series of, so sort of the, the length of one season of a TV show called Three Pines that sort of mixes up several of, of the books. And it's, it's really good. Um, but, but the book series is, um, you know, they're all pretty easy reads, but they're, and they're just fascinating. Like they, they're immersive and they draw you in. And so they're a good, a good escape, even though they're murder mysteries, it's still sort of my, like, turn my brain off before bed kind of, um, reading. So I, I, I really enjoy those. I don't know if I have a good one for, oh, for TV. Yeah. Great British baking show. Oh, the great British Bake Off. You gotta love it. (laughs) I, I 
love to bake. It lets me just like sit back and geek out on on baking fun, and my wife and I get into it, and yeah, that's cute. I love that for you guys. So fun, and I like that you like baking. That's fun too. I don't think I could bake. I could cook, but baking seems following those all the instructions is a little hard for me. (laughs) Follow the instructions perfectly the first time, and then you can mess it up after. (laughs) Perfect. And then the last question is, where can our listeners find and follow you? Oh, sure. Um, well, I've mentioned my, our website a few times, but it's aslathome.org. I'm on Facebook with just my first and last name, Rosie's Archie. Um, not a lot of other people have my name. On Instagram and I guess it's X now, I'm Rosie, the ASLSLP, all one word. So that's where you can find me there. I'm also on LinkedIn, but I don't use it very much. That's just with my name. <laughs> Also, uh, we have ASL at Home social media profiles. So on Facebook, it's all one word, ASL at Home. On Instagram, there's a, a period between the words. So ASL period at, at period home. And then on X, it's the, the same thing, but they're underscores instead of periods. Perfect. Someone else got to you know the other version without the punctuation first. So we had to. How could uh, they? <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. But yeah, I definitely recommend that people follow us there as well or join join our email list if they want to find out about things we're doing, that sort of thing. Awesome. And all of that information will definitely be linked. I also want to mention before we jump off that you have a really great resource on your website, Rosie's Resources for Communication at Home, that you have like during COVID, you compiled all of these resources that other SLPs had linked and put together and you put it all in one place. I thought that was really cool. So I will also link that in our show notes. Yeah, I appreciate that. That's right. I sometimes I forget that I I mean I also have my own website. It's just rosiesarchie.com. And you're welcome to check that out. I my CV is on there if anyone wants to see the work that I do. And then also um links to the SLPD program that 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 I just finished, the PhD program I'm currently in, and other things like that. So yeah. Um you're also welcome to check that out. Yeah, I'll make sure to link that here. And all of the resources that you mentioned, like I said earlier, but I just want to reiterate, it's all going to be linked in the bottom. So many great resources, so many really cool conversations. I really appreciate you coming on today. This is so great. I learned so much. I don't even care that we are an hour and a half. It'll be a great episode. <laughs> great. I'm glad. Yeah, I, I'm a speechy, so I talk a lot. So thank you for bearing with us for... For this long but i really appreciate it for sure and we will catch you all next week thank you all so much for listening to speeching it real please help us reach a bigger audience by rating us five stars and dropping a review you can contact me anytime on instagram at speeching it real or via email at speeching it at gmail.com you can reach out with any questions comments or recommendations 